Check your little astrological app, you'll see your astronomical app. That's what it is tonight's full moon. Because uh, we're observing this particular full moon, the advent of the appearance of uh, Chaitanya, uh, who appeared on the full moon uh, in 1486. These are his dates, Lord Chaitanya's 1486, 1530. Uh, what uh, happened in 1486? Uh, the year before, from 1485, uh, the Tudors came to the throne in England. <laughs> Henry VII won a battle, defeated Richard III, and then after him was Henry VIII and then Elizabeth. Those are the Tudors. So that's about the same time that this is happening in, in, in India. Uh, uh, so the, what was the beginning of the you know, Renaissance and all those things, Shakespeare, all that's going on in the, in the West. But in India, uh, in Bengal, uh, Bangladesh, uh, in Bengal, uh, was the Lord Chaitanya. It says in, in that that uh, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that in every yuga he descends, and so there are many avatars. Many times Krishna descends. He said whenever there's especially a rise of irreligion and a decline of religion, at that time he comes. Uh, and he, he rectifies the situation. And so among the avatars is the one, there's a yuga avatar. Uh, you may know that according to the uh, Vedic idea, uh, time rotates through these, these yugas, a cycle of uh, Satyuga, uh, Tretyuga, Dwarpa Yuga, and Kali Yuga. And we're in Kali Yuga, by the way. This is, uh, we have a different idea uh, from these scriptures. We think we are living in a time of progress. Our, our, our common Western mythology is we're making progress. Uh, they just say just the opposite. Previous eras were much more advanced than we were. Uh, we had, well, for example, we think of writing uh, as a sign of advancement. That's where humans learn how to write, you know, we, we advance. But uh, even Plato complains about writing. He said, because it's destroying everybody's memory. Just like right now, we have our devices, you know. Watch it destroy everybody's memories even more. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll see. Uh, so there's a different idea of progress. So anyway... In the previous age, uh, 5,000 years ago actually, 
there was uh, the time when Krishna descended, uh, Lord Krishna, and uh, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that he comes once in a day of Brahma. So that's very, very rarely. The Lord comes every yuga, but Krishna himself only comes once out of a thousand yuga cycles. It's a very, very long time. I forget the number now, but it's a big, big number. Because, because Krishna is a very special avatar, because, because what you see when Krishna comes is the private life of God. When Krishna has his pastimes in Vrindavan among the gopis, he, his, he's different because God is everything, so he's majestic, he's great, he's all-powerful. But he's also the be- most beautiful and the sweetest and the tenderest. This side of God is usually covered by majesty. Most religions teach you have to feel God, fear God. Because he is all-powerful, all those things. But when he comes as Krishna, at least part of the, t- part of the time, his early time, you have, you have the, the rural Krishna, where he seems to be a, a, a simple village boy with bare feet and herding cows. So th- th- at this point, Krishna is is showing his very personal uh, characteristics where his sweetness uh, overpowers his majesty and he shows his intimate intense relationship with devotees in fact when Krishna is all powerful but he's also called Prima Vasha he's controlled by the love of his devotees. He actually becomes subordinate to his own devotees in order to fulfill, to really feel uh, spiritual ecstasies and intensify them by their relationships. This is Krishna. But uh, this is uh, not, it's esoteric knowledge. For most people, God has to keep up the big front. Because if they're not afraid, they misbehave. <laughs> so you get the Almighty God, the God of vengeance, and all, all those things. So the, the, this private life of God is esoteric. And so it also says that when, in the time that Krishna comes, the next stage uh, is Lord Chaitanya, whose appearance we're celebrating now. Chaitanya's full name is Krishna Chaitanya. You translate that into English, Krishna Consciousness. Uh, that's, that's the meaning of Krishna Chaitanya. And he started the Krishna Consciousness movement. So it is said that when Krishna descended, he brought with him on earth the whole storehouse of love of God. Uh, uh, but that storehouse remained locked. People didn't have access to it. But when Lord Caitanya came with his associates, he gave a method by which we could have access to this storehouse by chanting, by kirtan. Kirtan is the Yuga Dharma, the chanting of the names of God. 
is simple, accessible, uh, easy to, to get to, and actually offers one a, a very, very powerful means of purification and clarification of consciousness. And so this is when Lord Caitanya and his associates came, the, the storehouse of, 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 of Krishna Prema, of love of God, came, but it was locked. Lord Caitanya and associations broke it open and distributed the contents. They plundered the storehouse, passed it out to everybody, and they didn't care whether somebody was qualified or not. They just did it. So this is, this is our understanding of who Lord Caitanya is. He comes in a pair with Krishna. So that I actually understand Krishna's Vrindavan Leela properly and, and those ecstasies of spiritual consciousness. We all know that sometimes great saints who are very advanced have very special feelings of ecstasy. Their eyes fill with tears all the time. Their hairs stand on end. These are all intense spiritual emotions. But very rarely uh, do we have access to them unless very special people. Uh, but this is what Lord Chaitanya gives. This kind of access by this powerful method of chanting. So Lord Chaitanya, when he came, at that time, uh, he, he appeared in what's uh, now Bengal, Bangladesh. Uh, and at the time he came, uh, uh, it was under uh, 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 Turkish rule. Uh, the, the, the Muslim, that part of India, northern India, was uh, uh, occupied by people who were uh, uh, foreigners and, and who didn't really appreciate very much uh, some of the rules of, uh, uh, of Hinduism. Uh, and so this, was, this is where Lord Chaitanya appeared. Uh, where he was, uh, the place he appeared, Navadweep, was this, a great center of learning. It was like at that time, the, at least in North India, the Oxford and Cambridge. Uh, and there were many, many schools there. And, uh, and Lord Chaitanya was born in a Brahmin family and trained up to be a teacher, uh, uh, actually of grammar. Uh, uh, but early on, he began to exhibit uh, a, a different kind of uh, uh, grammar of always chanting the names of God, and, and, and so th this was this was his uh, uh, his place of appearance, uh, and, and uh, he uh, became uh, uh, very very young. He be he began to exhibit these these. Uh, extraordinary symptoms, symptoms of, of ecstasy, of, of uh, crying all the time, of uh, shaking, of hair standing on end, and had the appearance, had the effect that when anybody was near him, they would start to feel the same, feel the same thing, just by being close to him. And so he began to get some followers, and they began to uh, chant have all-night kirtans, all-day kirtans, kirtans inside, and then taking the kirtans out on the street. Uh, 
And, and, uh, so this, this became uh, uh, a social disturbance uh, to, to a lot of people, both the Muslims, who thought well, this is a weird thing, and to the kind of more traditional Hindus, who thought it was fanaticism. Uh, they said, why are you chanting? You, you know, you're brought up, you're trained properly, you're in an academic, now you're chanting and dancing with these fanatics. Why, why, why is that happening? Uh, uh, so that was, uh, that was uh, a bit of the, uh, the uh, uh, disturbance he caused. Uh, th then Lord Chaitanya, he, he took, became renounced, he took sannyas, and at that time, he made his headquarters uh, in, in Jagannath Puri, in Orissa. Uh, that was, at that time, that, there was a Hindu king, Maharaj Prataparuja, in, in Jagannath Puri. That's where the famous Jagannath deities are. Uh, of, of the deity of Krishna, uh, Balaram and Subhadra. Uh, we get our English word juggernaut from Jagannath. In the, in the United Kingdom, these big, uh, you know, 72 foot uh, trucks are called juggernauts. Uh, because juggernauts come to mean in English, in, in English uh, uh, unstoppable force. Because Jagannath is famous, he has a temple in, in Jagannath Puri, but once a year there's a Rathayatra a car festival where three big, uh, gigantic carts uh, take Jagannath out of the temple and onto a parade. So Lord Chaitanya used to participate in that. It happens at the beginning of the rainy season and all the, his followers from Bengal would come down and have a big, huge Rathayatra festival. So that was also how, how he spread uh, the chanting of Hare Krishna at the, at the Jagannath festival. And to that day, the house that he stayed in, uh, all these things are, 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 st are still there, are still preserved uh, at that time. And, uh, and also Lord Chaitanya, for six years, he uh, went on a tour all around South India and also spread the chanting of Hare Krishna there. So that was that was how the Yuga Dharma uh, was was established by Lord Chaitanya. He had, although he himself only composed uh, eight verses, he had followers who were uh, very 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 highly educated uh, and wrote volumes of books. This was another place that Chaitanya went several times and had many of his scholarly followers stay in Vrindavan, where Krishna's original pastimes had been, and excavated that. Uh, all those places of pastimes were almost lost. Uh, Vrindavan was almost forgotten, and it was revived by Lord Chaitanya and his followers, uh, uh, and made it, the place, is still today a place of pilgrimage, but all that is due to Chaitanya that Vrindavan is still uh, a famous place of pilgrimage at that time, and his d disciples established many of the temples that are still there to this day. The deities had been moved again. There was a, 
some hostile government comes in and they had to take them away because sometimes uh, some of the Muslim rulers would destroy the temples and destroy the deities and so on. So, uh, so a lot of the deities there are in Jaipur rather than in Vrindavan now. But the temples are some of the temples are still there. Some of them been chopped down. So this this was what Lord Chaitanya did, and it was predicted uh, that one day this process of chanting would would spread all over the world, uh, and that happened in in, in our lifetime. Uh, the a- actual uh, preparation for this uh, really, uh, I mean, Lord Chaitanya's teachings were there in India and, and were preserved and propagated through a change of teachers uh, uh, like that. But there was uh, a revival in the 19th century uh, with people who had the idea that it's supposed to go all over the whole world. And there was a, there was a, one of our previous spiritual masters, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, uh, who had even was uh, uh, educated in English, uh, was a, 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 a worker for the state, a minister for the state. Uh, the, at that time, it was British occupation in India, but he was so he was educated, and was in a sense a world citizen, and he began to write in English. And uh, he had studied even when he went to school. He was associated with the Tagores, and he had read Emerson and people like that, the, the uh, 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 Unitarians, very liberal, uh, and... Uh, and so he had the idea that, that, that this should be carried ar- around the world. And he had started, uh, he'd written in English, and he started a periodical and began to get the kind of educated, uh, uh, westernized intellectuals in Calcutta uh, interested in Krishna consciousness. To most of them, it was something that was out in the countryside. And they were being taught again by the British you know, this is kind of stuff you don't want. You really want to become Christians. <laughs> uh, so, so he presented uh, this Vaishnava teaching in a way that people could understand it and they could see that it was actually quite profound. And, uh, and so he began writing in English and then his son, who was Srila Prabhupada, my spiritual master's spiritual master, he actually began writing in English. And in 1932, he sent uh, missionaries to uh, London. Uh, he prepared the way they wrote some big books in English and were going to then spread. Uh, Bhakti Siddhanta had established temples all over India and then sent missionaries to London in 1932. Uh, tough time because that was also the same year that Hitler came to power in Germany and all hell was about to break loose. But but uh, they had actually had land in London for a temple uh, and had gained followers uh, in Germany uh, and had some German scholars very interested. 
uh, uh, but uh, pause for World War II. Uh, and then, uh, then after Bhakti Siddhanta left this world, uh, his movement split apart, as movements tend to do, uh, and the different factions and weren't unified. And so, my own spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, became his disciple. Prabhupada was a businessman. Uh, uh, he had re- also received an education in Scottish Churches College in, 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 in Calcutta. So he knew, he knew a very good grasp of English literature, by the way. I once, Prabhupada was walking with some devotees and had, uh, had mentioned uh, Merchant of Venice, and the American devotees, they didn't, re- didn't know much about it. And so he gave them the whole plot <laughs> of Merchant of Venice because he had a really good education of, uh, uh, in Shakespeare and Wordsworth and all these uh, things like that. Uh, so so he, Prabhupada was asked to, by his spiritual master in the last letter that you should preach in English, go to the West. And Prabhupada was a married man. He had a large family, six children. Uh, so it was very difficult. But finally he did it. And by himself, he translated uh, Srimad Bhagavatam first canto into English and got it printed and then came to America. He happened to arrive uh, in New York City in 1965. Uh, at the right time, just just by some magic arrangement, he showed up all by himself, no money, no nothing. He went to New York City uh, and just started chanting and giving little classes in the, the one yoga center that was there at the time. And people began to come to him. And then, uh, who was it? It was Allen Ginsberg, had been in Brindavan. And seeing, seeing Prabhupada and said, look, man, here's an authentic, you know, Brijbasi sannyasi, you know, with his little funny slippers and things like that. And so Prabhupada had got some people around him, rented a storefront on 26 2nd Avenue. It's still there. We still have it. And that was the first Hare Krishna temple. And then... Uh, there was kind of an explosion. Uh, his, his, the, the, the original social location of the Hare Krishna movement in, in America was the counterculture of the 60s. Uh, and uh, people were open to these different things. They began to uh, chant Hare Krishna. The first pamphlet that I saw said, Stay high forever. No more coming down. And Allen Ginsberg, Prabhupada, the first, then, then some devotees ended up in San Francisco. And they're thinking maybe we should open, they were going to go to India, and they thought well, maybe we should open a temple in San Francisco. We needed to raise some money. So they were kind of well con- connected in some ways with the, with the counterculture. And there ended up uh, this mantra rock dance. 
in San Francisco, uh, where Prabhupada had major building, and there was you know Big Brother and the Holder Company and Moby Grape, and these other bands are also there. And uh, Prabhupada came on stage with Allen Ginsberg, and there everybody chanted Hare Krishna in the mantra rock dance. And uh, and Allen Ginsberg said that. Uh, you know, chanting Hare Krishna is very good for stabilizing your consciousness when you come down off LSD. <laughs> and so when the temple would open in the morning in New York and San Francisco, there were all these people waiting. <laughs> We've been tripping all night ready to stabilize their consciousness. <laughs> but in some ways you had to turn around, I mean, because the rules of Krishna consciousness no eating meat, fish, or eggs, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling. Well, that sounded a little different. For people. It was a little tough transition like that. But that's, that's how it began. And then when Prabhupada got a following, then, then the next thing that happened, some of the people that opened the San Francisco temple went to London. And they met the Beatles. And they were trying to sneak in to Abbey Road Studios to meet them. And John Lennon's car pulls up and says, Oh, hey, George is looking for you guys. <laughs> because Prabhupada had put out a record on the happening label of chanting. When the Beatles had visited America, they had gotten the record, one of these LPs, you know, with the old technology, remember those? <laughs> the, uh, the LPs. And they were interested. And so, so then... Uh, Harrison took some of the devotees there, some very, some very good musicians and singers, and on the Apple label they put out uh, chanting Hare Krishna. And it became top of the pops, if they were honest. <laughs> uh, so it became very popular in England, and uh, they were going to rock concerts there. And then Prabhupada took the same group of people, brought them to Bombay back to, he took American devotees back to India. And he had a big, uh, what they call a Pandal festival in Bombay, where uh, big tents out in the field and people come. And Prabhupada gave a lecture and he had his Western disciples chanting. And he would say to the Indians, you know, these are people who have everything you're looking for them. He said, their parents gave them, he said, skyscraper buildings. <laughs> and so much money, their parents gave them all this stuff, and still they're not satisfied. What, what do they want? What you're giving up. That's what he said to them. And therefore, then, these devotees winning, chanting in the streets in various towns in India. So this is where this has actually spread. Very unlikely, very unusual. Nobody would have predicted it, uh, unless you're really astute sociologist, that something like this would happen. But, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I mean uh, it has happened. Like, for example, there was a little bunch of uh, crazy Jews who became followers of Jesus which was a little colony of the Roman Empire, and suddenly it invaded and basically took over the Roman Empire, you know? Sometimes that happened. Well, this... <laughs> How did that happen? Interesting, huh? If you, if you really want to know what the Roman Empire was really like, 
visit the Vatican. <laughs> then you'll see it. Uh, that's 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 what it would uh, to really appreciate that feeling. Uh, so 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 this is how the Krishna consciousness movement spread. By the way, uh, it's also spread now. Uh, we have our centers, our headquarters in Mayapur in Bengal, where Lord Chaitanya appeared. We have a big place there. We have a big place in Vrindavan, uh, and we have this, many devotees were there this year, every year for pilgrimage in Mayapur. It's a very, very big area. And there are signs for directions. So when I first went there, uh, the few signs you see were in English. Then uh, 15 years later, 10 years later, they're in English and Russian. <laughs> and now English, Russian, and Chinese. So you'd be surprised that the Krishna consciousness movement is also big numbers in, 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 in Russia uh, and uh, were barely tolerated, but somehow they managed to survive. And same thing in, in China. So uh, uh, this is how this has happened in, in, in our lifetime. This was the prediction of Lord Chaitanya that this chanting of Hare Krishna uh, was spread all over the world uh, and it is very, very powerful. Why is it powerful? It's simple because you have three words basically. Hare, Krishna and Rama. These are names of God. And the reason they're powerful is that God and God's name are the same. You know, if I say water, water, water that doesn't quench my thirst. That's because the sound water and the substance water in this area, world of duality, are different. But if I say a name of God that's actually a name of God, God is present in his name. He is actually non-different. So if I say Krishna, Krishna is there. Krishna means all attractive. That's not a Hindu goddess definition of what God is. If God is the greatest of everything, you know, well, people know he's all-powerful, almighty, but he's also got to be the most attractive person, otherwise it wouldn't be God. But people don't know that very much about God. They only think of him as somebody to watch out for. Him. Uh, uh, but this is, this is what Krishna means. Uh, 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 Rama, one who feels and who gives the highest bliss. That's the, and again, another what God is. And Hare means who takes away everything inauspicious. So by just chanting Hare Krishna, we are associating with God. And if we associate with God who is the Supreme Pure, we become purified. The reason all these people who are you know, steeped in all the transgressions of the counterculture could become devotees is that you chant Hare Krishna and the first effect is that your material desires begin to decrease. And when it happens, at least for me, I, whoa, I don't know if I really want to do this quite yet. <laughs> I mean, it is not the mission of America itself to decrease your material desires. It's very anti-American. What will it do to the economy? 
Our idea is to increase your desires. Uh, our present uh, new president, he exemplifies this is the American way. But the, so, uh, but it actually gives you, and if you actually want to do a few things, if you really want to live in such a way that uh, that we are in, actually in harmony with the rest of the world, this is what we need to do. Uh, the things we learn from Krishna consciousness, for example, well, we're not eating meat, fish, or eggs, but we, uh, part of that is that actually, uh, Prabhupada explains and explains in the Bhagavatam that all the living beings of, of a country are actually citizens. They are praja. The, and the duty of the king, the head of state, is to protect all the citizens. When I first read this in the se- early 70s, actually, late 60s, I thought, wow, this means that animals have civil rights. And I thought, wow, who's going to believe that? You know? But, you know, it's more and more people are starting to think these things. Uh, uh, so this if you really want to actually transform not only this country but the whole world so that we live in the harmony with the entire environment where we see everything as divine because as Krishna is transcendent but he's imminent too the main teaching that the way Lord Chaitanya uh, and I'll, I'll stop with this uh, the way Lord Chaitanya Summarize the teachings of the Srimad Bhagavatam of Krishna is the nature of, of, of the, the way to understand uh, everything is called Achincha Beta Beta Tattva. This is the relationship between God and the world. Achincha Beta Beta Tattva. That is, you, if you think of God as separate from everything, you're not understanding God. If you're thinking of God as identical with everything, you're not understanding God that everything that we see according to the uh, teachings of Lord Chaitanya and the whole Vaishnava tradition is everything is God's energy. And because God is one without a second, He includes His energy. So to put a chincha beta beta tattva, simply you put it like this. Think of it as a koan. Nothing is different from Krishna, yet Krishna is different from everything. That's our understanding. There's nothing but Sri Krishna, yet nothing is Krishna save and except his own primordial personality. Nothing is different from Krishna. So that everything, because it is Krishna's energy, because it belongs to Krishna, is divine. And right now, we can't see it. Because we have... And our mood of being the enjoyer and controller have got actually a kind of hostile relationship to God. And that blinds us to perception. The principles of Krishna consciousness, what I said earlier, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no meeting and get, no gambling, most of the people think of those as moral principles. Having to do with, you know, right or wrong, reward and punishment. But they're actually principles of cognition. They enable us to have spiritual experience by following them. 
And the, the laws of spiritual life, by the way, are the same everywhere. They're not different. And any religious tradition where people follow these, people begin to have that perception. Why, well, for example, the, the Catholics don't believe, they believe that animals don't have souls. That's what they think. Why was St. Francis preaching to the birds? Or St. Anthony for the fish, another Italian. These people became very pure. They didn't eat meat, fish, or eggs because yeah, they were austere. They didn't understand the same way we do, but they were austere. And they followed very strict monastic rules, and they could see. So you'll find that's why there's some convergence in all religious traditions. Uh, I, I myself, when I became a devotee, I had just finished graduate work in a religious studies program in a university. I studied many different religions, and when I met the Hare Krishna devotees, of course I felt like everybody else, they're out of their minds, but I got, got kind of interested and I got some literature and I began to read it, and I thought, wow, this is where everybody's trying to get. That was my perception. But if you took all the religions and you took how what they were together to be, had their, at their highest level, what to me was their highest level, was spoken clearly in Krishna consciousness. That was my own perception. Of course, I couldn't convince my professors of that, but that's another story. But... but uh, <coughs> It is really very, very inclusive. And Prabhupada never said to Christians, you shouldn't be Christians, just become better Christians. So there's really only one religion. And if you follow these basic principles, you will have these experiences yourself. It's a way for spiritual cognition. So this is, to me, it's, it's had an effect. Uh, uh, it, if you just chant Hare Krishna, it goes into the ether, it purifies sound, and everything else becomes purified uh, uh, that way. Uh, so uh, whatever we can do to help this world, this is the highest welfare work. Uh, if, if, if you help other human beings, but you help everybody else too, because look what human beings are doing to the planet. Uh, and it's just out of uncontrolled greed. And the idea that we can enjoy, we can control, and that if anything we break, we fix it. You should see some of the plans people have proposed to deal with global warming. Technical plans. Instead of just like cooling it a little bit, you know. No, no, we're going to get up there and, and geoengineer the whole world. Just watch. I don't think they know what they're doing. So save the planet. Save yourselves. Save the fish. Save the birds. This is, this is what Lord Chaitanya has given us something that enabled us to do. At least that's my conviction. Okay. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.